Welcome back to Real Talk Christian, where we have real conversations with real people that impact our family and community. I'm your host, Chris Fuller, and today for part three, we have Paul Lindgren in the studio with us to continue our conversation on affairs, divorces, and is the church failing? Thanks for joining us, and let's get started. Thank you for joining us at Real Talk Christian, a place where real Christians talk about real issues impacting the community and the world as it pertains to Christians. Now here are your hosts, Mark Hyde and Chris Fuller. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again on another episode of Divorces, Affairs, and Is the Church Failing? We have Paul Lindgren back with us. Paul, thanks for joining us. Good to be back. So let's... uh, Let's kind of continue up where we left off last time. Let's pick it up right there. Of uh, we had talked about you had come back, your fragile state, and uh, you kind of found a church. We, you and I, kind of got reconnected, and um, let's go from there. You guys were starting to build that relationship. Yeah. So um, the marriage was really looking good from um, from I guess in relativity it was looking good. Right. From where we had come from, uh, you didn't know in those beginning days what the future was going to look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they always say there is a honeymoon period to um, to any sort of affair or coming after and rekindling a marriage. And we went through that. We did. Um, there was also something that actually kind of came about, though. Um, so we'll talk about this a little bit later in this podcast with kind of how, how the church and people kind of took me in afterwards, but something that set a poor foundation for coming back into the marriage was the counselor that I had once reached out to in the affair that my my ex was still seeing, mm-hmm. um, we had gone to her for our marital counseling after. Mm. That was actually who I was brought there after my um, sort of mental break. Uh, one of our friends had brought me there. He was seeing the same counselor. And he, uh, he brought me there, and now I know that it's actually not encouraged in the um, therapy community to bring someone in from couples counseling that one of the two in the couple was already seeing right. because there's a bias built up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I noticed that. I noticed the wrong things. Um, I noticed a lot of things that were kind of red flags, as I was going through the recovery period, but my voice was kind of taken away. When you are the one that were the offender in a marriage and you're coming back, you're just kind of treated, or at least I was treated like, whatever your opinions are, go ahead and put them away. Because, yeah. you know, we're doing things by by the one that was hurt in the marriage, right? by whatever they need or whatever they want. Um, and so there were some poor foundational blocks that were built up and a lot of it was that I, I didn't really have a voice, and there were still some things that I had concerns from in the in the previous relationship that we needed to work through. And not having those blocks, um, not having dealt with things in an appropriate way, and not having our support systems anymore. Yeah. We didn't have the women's group, we didn't have the men's group, we didn't have the church. Uh, the people that were speaking into our lives were gone. Mm-hmm. Everyone was giving us space, necessary space, but it also comes with a sacrifice that you're not getting 
that type of quality relationship that you should have if at any point in your life in this situation. Hmm. <clears throat> so we were faced with kind of getting things from the counselor, uh, from periodically from people from a sermon. We weren't at that point, you know, in the beginning stages, weren't deeply rooted in a church yet. Um, and then just each other, help books and all of that. But you're left to your own mind and your yeah. own perception. So bad foundational blocks were kind of set um, in in the beginning, but we had worked through most of them to be able to have a sustainable quality marriage. Mm-hmm. Again. So I mentioned that we'd got a new house. I was working on the house. Uh, my ex-wife had gotten a, a job at a home improvement store to try to help just kind of get out of my hair while I'm working on projects and to help supplement some income. Right. Uh, I had started noticing instantly, or at least within a couple days of the job starting, that she wasn't coming home. Uh, she would meet friends there. I right. would kind of ask, like, uh, hey, you know, what's what's going on? You know, we, we would usually leave. She had another job, another full-time job, right. and I had my job. We would leave at the same time every morning, about 7.30. And now I wasn't seeing her until 11. And the shift was done before that. Right. And then other nights, she would just be out of the house with people. And I would ask kind of who the relationships are. And I wasn't allowed to know much information. Hmm. And because the poor foundational blocks were already set up of me not having my voice, um, which was a necessary component that we needed to establish, was learn how the offended partner can have a voice again. That's part of building trust. Right. And we never had that. So anything that I mentioned that was concerning or, hey, this is a red flag or, um, you know, I, I feel like this is probably too much time away from each other. It was met with, well, you know, you're, these kind of seem like jealousy questions or controlling, like you want to know where I'm at every second of the day. And, and some of that was a piece in there that, you know, when you've been cheated on, if anyone, I'm sure that most of the people listening have felt some form of being cheated on in their life, right? whether it was by a parent that left them or a, a person in a relationship or whatever. When that's happened to you, you retain those scars and you start to see things through that filter mm-hmm. and you learn how not to filter your life through your, your poor experiences that life has thrown at you, but it still can happen. So clearly we, you know, I was coming out of the state of being in an affair. I didn't have a lot of spiritual mentorship that I should have had. Right. So I had built up poor practices and I wasn't in control of my emotions all the time, but that wasn't my sole thing that I was coming out of a controlling state or a jealousy state. But there were thoughts of, you know, Hey, I'm kind of feeling like I'm a little worried what might be happening here. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of it was that, hey, we're at a good spot in our marriage, and I want to I wanna keep cultivating this, but you're not home. Right. And uh, it kind of turned into that um, the relationship started to take this, uh, not, not an aggressive turn, but just a darker turn where there was more uh, skepticism on her end towards me. Um, I started to feel like something was really changing in her. Hmm. And um, I remember a day that um, I was out splitting wood. The house had a wood-burning stove, and I split wood for it to heat it, and I was out splitting wood. And we had just gotten home from church, and she was in a real pretty dress, Mm -hmm. and, you know, dressed up, dolled up. And 
and we were home for probably a half hour to an hour, um, plenty of time to change clothes, but right. she'd gone into work to pick up dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> Got in a nice dress to pick up dirt. I'm confused at this, yeah. you know, and I was already a little, a little skeptical myself that this job started and all of a sudden, you know, and one of the things that even in, in the counselor that we had, which turned out to be a, a counselor that made a lot of mistakes in mm-hmm. therapy, um, that counselor had, had even warned against rebound affairs, how common they are. They're right. very, very common. Um, you, the spouse feels like um, they can't trust the person that's back in the relationship, and they start to just kind of put it in other people or tell other people about their personal problems right. instead of their spouse. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of reasons, but uh, it's, uh, it's just kind of something that surprised me. And I started to just kind of see these signs that, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not allowed to ask questions. And when I ask questions, not only am I getting kind of rebuke from my ex-wife, but from my family, my family, mm. that she was using as support systems. And I, I had later found out that she was kind of complaining about problems to my fa- some of my family members, but not to me. And mm. they weren't even aware of that. Right. But they were getting this one story, and I was getting a completely different one. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel like, um, like things were really starting to get rocky. And I was, I was going through a lot more anxiety at the time. Um, I had never experienced panic attacks. I now have better control of my panic attacks, but the anxiety that I was now feeling was well past getting over the affair. It was now the anxiety of, I experienced something that I don't know what it was, but my brain broke Hmm. and I, I have... I have little recollection of what happened and I don't ever want that to happen again because right. I, I couldn't tell what led up to it. I mean, of course, you know, the affair and coming back led up to it, but I could, there was no gauge. It wasn't like right. I could feel my body getting to that point and I could calm myself down. So I started to feel anxiety that that was going to happen again if I ever felt stress. Yeah. And so I would get panic attacks and then I would try to do things to try to help calm the panic attacks down so that my mind wouldn't break again. So I'm filled with this anxiety and that starts to kind of play into what's going to happen. And, and my emotional state and nerves went to DEFCON one hmm. boom right there. And so we started having more conversations about the relationship, right. self-reflection and that relationship conversation, um, brought about, and, and I guess I should give a time frame on this. So this is now two years later. Right. Okay. This is post-affair. Two two years after I've come back from Mm -hmm. the affair. And this has been two years of a relatively healthy marriage from the looks of things. Right. Um, I'm now getting this conversation started about the relationship, and I hear for the first time in a very calm, nonchalant, chill voice, I just don't know if I really want to be married anymore. Hmm. Floor came out from under me. Right. I mean, not expecting this at all. I expected it within the first few months after I right. came back. You know, the, you you almost wait for that to come out and fly at your ears, right. and you have to deal with it. But two years later, this is just out of the blue, right? And especially in a characteristic format, out of the blue from what I know, my wife of at this point six years, seven years, right? What I know for her to be, and the only change that I can relate this to is. Ever since this that job has that new job taken on, right. and 
And when you go through something, um, there's actually, uh, I'm a kind of a war history buff. In, uh, in World War II, you soldiers are at Guadalcanal, mm-hmm. and the Navy drops them off. They're expecting to fight Japanese soldiers, and there's no one there. And that's their first encounter with guerrilla warfare. And so they get in this nasty fight. And the next morning they look out and uh, the, ships are, the, the ships are being attacked by Japanese fleet. And right. so these guys are on the shore and they're watching all their supplies and ammunition and everything in a firefight with these ships that they can't do anything about. Overflows the, the U.S. Navy and they abandon them for five weeks. Wow. No food, no supplies, nothing. Hmm. These guys are caught using rations of ammunition, trying to fight off Japanese troops on the island with no help behind them and no more resupply. Hmm. By the time that they kind of take hold of things, uh, Navy fleet comes in five weeks later with resupplies and all these gung-ho soldiers, and they're like, we're ready for this. Like, those Japs don't know what's coming to them. Yeah. And these guys are like, you have no idea what you're about to come across right now. You right. have no clue what we've just been through. Like... I applaud your passion and your gung-ho behavior, but... Well, that was probably them five weeks earlier, too. <laughs> right, right. But when you've been through it, like you know, and I had just been through an affair years previous, I knew how to spot one, I mean, anywhere. Right. I could tell someone's doing this, this behavior, I must, that, that person's got something going on. Right. They're, they're, they're concealing something. And I could spot in the signs because I knew them. I had to fabricate how to get away with a double life. Right. So I saw the signs right away that if there wasn't someone else that had entered her life, there was a dream or a goal or something that was pulling her away. Hmm. She no longer had the drive to work on the marriage. It was, I'm entertaining the thought that I don't think I want this anymore. And it was out of the blue. There was no work up to it. Because prior, prior to that job, everything was on the up and up. Everything was... Yeah. I mean, I remember hanging out with her and there was no signs of it. And then, you know, when she started this job, she really started to pull away. Right. And, and, and by this point we have, um, you know, we, we don't have really any one of the same people that were in our, our small groups or church. Right. They had pulled away from us. Um, I had the band, I had you, Chris mm-hmm. and Janiel. Um, I had a few people from the new church and that was in family and that was it. Right. My, my circle of friends was very tight, very close. Um, so we had this good community and good thing going, and this just kind of came just out of the blue. And I started to seek counseling. I started to say, Hey, well, you know, there's this couple that used to be my youth pastor and his wife, and they've been very close with us, um, through the years. I want to talk to them. I want to see what they say. And we sit down in a meeting and I expect her to start denying things, my ex-wife, you Mm -hmm. know, and what's going on? Well, you know, we've been, you know, I kind of catch him up on everything. And all of a sudden I hear this. I don't know if I want to be married anymore. Hmm. Well, is that true? You know, asking her. Yeah. I just kind of feel that way now. They didn't know what to say. Right. They said, I think this is probably beyond our capabilities. I think you guys might need to seek professional counseling. That's as far as it went. Hmm. Uh, it wasn't until a few months later, we never saw a professional counselor, but, uh, the pastor of the church we were going to started, um, just little conversations with us. A few months even past that, he uh, he said, you know, if things start to tank again, let's start up counseling. And so things like seemed like they were stable, but we never had any more conversations about where she was at. Right. 
And then out of the blue, another day we're watching TV and all of this is going on. My anxiety, I'm starting to notice things and she's hanging out with people. I'm not allowed to know where she's at. And of course that triggers more of my insecurities red, red flags and <laughs> jealousy and <laughs> right. things like that. Right. Those are still coming through, but there's also rationality that no one's listened to me. I know what it's like to go through an affair or a double life. And there is a double life happening here. Mm-hmm. And no one wanted to listen to the person that just had an affair. Right. So I felt alone. I talked to you and you were about the only one that was like, <laughs> something's uh, going on. Something's going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you knew us too. Yeah. And, um, and so family, I started to, I started to see that I was, I don't want to say being played, but family was calling me mm-hmm. saying, what are you doing? Like you, she's allowed to have a, a, a you know, friends and, and this, and, uh, you're, you're asking all these questions and, and I was getting accusations of that. I was being controlling and I'm like, and then someone, and then I actually had a family member accuse me of, um, of not wanting the marriage. Hmm. Like, I don't know where this information is coming from. I want this marriage, but right. the other half of this marriage is not, is not that same way. And, and I was starting to feel like I was almost back at when the affair ended right. two years previous, I wasn't getting that kind of, um, I, I wasn't getting any chance to say anything, mm-hmm. and I felt like I was suppressed. Like you're, you're, you know, calm your horses. You're, you got to realize that you can't bring accusations like this, not from where you're coming from. You know, mm-hmm. my voice was kind of taken away. Right. Yeah, because how dare you say anything? Because you're the one that had the affair a few years prior. Right. But like from my standpoint, <clears throat> the same signs that were there previous to you coming out about the affair were very similar signs that your ex-wife was having as well. But the, the difference in that was, um, was that everyone's focus I think was still on me. Even years later, Mm -hmm. it was still on me. Like, I wonder how the marriage is going. What's it like to be with Paul? Uh, and that's just my speculation, but Mm -hmm. I think that everyone had a compassion for the offended spouse. Yeah. And so there I wasn't on her. And I just kept seeing signs and signs, signs, things that were just obvious obvious signs and I could go into the detail but it's not important right um kind of came down to where our conversations with each other I mean I was already by this point probably DEFCON 3 and this is six months after almost a year after um after the job started mm-hmm. you know uh she had just started talking more like I I don't want to be in this marriage anymore yeah. we had we had been back into counseling with the pastor of our church and I remember him saying, talking to my ex-wife, can you give this six months? Then it became, can you give us six weeks? And, you know, it was just no commitment to anything. It wasn't even six days. And she decided to leave. Um, And the reasons for her leaving kept changing. It was hostility from me. And what I, I was the best version of a husband that I had been, maybe even in the whole marriage. And when she had left, there's a lot of people that don't believe that now. Um, I, she wanted out, and she kind of made a made a case for herself, mm-hmm. and it wasn't all true. Um, but people didn't really believe that I was a good version of myself. I was I was doing it, and in the most gentle way that I could. I was trying to be there when she was home. Right. 
you know, I was I wasn't allowed to ask much past that. But when she was home, the few times I would I'd make dinner, I'd have to put it in the refrigerator because she wasn't home. Um, and I'm I'm realizing that I am the only person left in this marriage right now, and I'm doing everything I can, and I'm worn thin. I my energies are exhausted, and I I just can't keep going on with this. And so if an argument would start, the emotions coming out of me were a buildup of still immaturity at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I was using f- language that is unbecoming to any Christian, right. but it was ang- it was language that was stemming from an emotion and a spiritual state that still wasn't completely healed right. from an affair because of, I mean, just lack of spiritual nurturing on my part, on being involved with people that could speak into my life mm-hmm. in a quality way. And, um, and the feeling of anyone that's ever gone through someone leaving them, especially in a marriage, and you don't want it, feels like a pillow is over your face. And if you've ever seen someone getting suffocated by a pillow, they're thrashing. Mm-hmm. They're doing whatever they can, digging, to try just to get trying away. to get air again. Mm-hmm. And that is literally what it felt like inside of me. So the conversations about, uh, uh, you know, I, I went out of this marriage, and I see my whole life or the future that I had come back from this affair because I, I you know, I felt like, there was promise. There was hope. And here we are years later, and it's going away, and I can't, I can't do a thing about it. Hmm. And if I try to fight it, I'm being told I'm not doing enough. Right. Friends and family, well, have you tried this? 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 Yep. Have you tried this? Yep. Have you tried this? No, I haven't tried that. You got to try that then, you know? Right. And you just reach this point of exhaustion. Well... It finally came to this the point she leaves, um, and my world is just crumbling. It's just crumbling. Uh, and I get divorce papers delivered by my ex. Mm-hmm. I expected there to be a lawyer or something, but comes to my house delivered by my ex. And I'm, uh, I'm trying to process all of this stuff, and I can't. I just can't. Um, we tried reaching out. There was some pretty reputable, uh, one of the mega churches in the area, there's right. a, a pastor that's like impossible to get a hold of. He agrees to do free counseling. Hmm. She doesn't agree. Just just uncharacteristic of of her or, right. or anyone in the situation, mm-hmm. you know. So uh, she eventually just leaves. Um, the divorce is final. I, I, I never wanted it. I didn't want to pardon it at all. I didn't sign any divorce papers. I didn't agree to anything. I didn't show up at the court date. I didn't want my name on this. I didn't want my hand in it. Right. It just happened. And all of a sudden I'm just left with myself. Hmm. And, uh, and there's a lot of pieces now to pick up from the damage that had been done I had begged my ex when she was leaving. I had begged, if you're going to go, I don't want you to go. I'm ready to still keep fighting this. I'm ready to go to counseling in this. And I know that you've seen me in two, three, four conversations yell and scream and and cuss. But that's not my MO. That's not, that's 5% of the time. Right. That's not who you normally are. And you know that. And I know for some reason you want out, and I have my speculation, you know, why you want out. 
but I still felt bad about even bringing it up. I think there's someone else. Right. Uh, but whatever it was, whether it was someone else, and, and come find out later that she had met somebody there that she's now with. Right. You know. Um, but even if it was just the idea of being single again, you know, she wanted out. And there was a lot of people in our support system that were that had remained, the core that had remained, that were uh, not going to let someone just end the vows. They expected it to be me. Right. If, if someone said, hey, two years down the road, yeah. Who is it someone's be? leaving, yeah. they're going to say it's me. Right. No one expected this. And I think that she knew she had to convince people in our mm-hmm. support group that I was worthy of being left. Right. And she, she painted me in a dark light. Things that were not true, or embellishments, or um, just just to make it look, like, you know, that's why I was getting calls from friends and family that were getting misinformation, and they had actually found out. I said, "No, that was a lie," and confronted, and she'd even admitted, "Yeah, that wasn't all the truth." So, isn't that kind of <clears throat> it's kind of the mo? Uh, I remember, you know, we talked about your affair in the pr- past couple of episodes, but even in the past couple of episodes talking about the affair, um, you would kind of paint her in a, in a dark light trying to get view. I know conversations we had. It seems like it's that when, when an affair is starting or uh, when somebody's wanting to leave, they kind of p- paint their partner in a dark light. Yes. It's, uh, it's, it's partly to convince yourself. There were things I found out. I don't know if it was coincidence or the fact that I was convincing myself to look deeper, but there were things I found out uh, during the affair about my marriage that were big issues right. that I'd uncovered that um, I, I, I never got answers for because by the time I reconciled the marriage, there were bigger fish to fry. Right. But there were still things, again, that was a voice that I didn't have. Mm-hmm. I couldn't really bring those things up. Um, and you're trying to convince yourself and you're trying to convince everybody else that there is a reason I'm leaving and you're trying to hide what the real reason is. Right. I didn't want people to know that it was because I had, I had an, an affair going on. Yeah. I wanted them to think, well, he's he's leaving. If he's not giving a reason, there's got to be someone else. Right. That's just the assumption. Right. So if you give a reason, if you paint a picture yeah. of, oh well, you know, they had that affair, which, um, I I think they had actually act, asked this pastor that had agreed to do counseling, the this esteemed mm-hmm. member of the Christian community. Do you believe that there is a justification in them leaving two years later. Right. You know, after there's been good relationship mm-hmm. and the answer was no. And right. I'd asked to pass that and the answer was no. And and I don't want to come across as insensitive to this because yes, I had an affair. It was with close friends in a Christian community under their noses. Right. There was such a devastating thing. And in the kingdom, it was rattling. Mm-hmm. There, There is no way to paint a light picture on an affair, especially to the level that we were involved in. Right. What became confusing, I think, for everybody was that this came years later after there were no signs of of turmoil right. still within the relationship. Yeah. So um, it it was just it was a lot of a lot of pickup, um, picking up pieces of where we were at. Um, after uh, you know all all of this recovery, and then her when she left, just making a whirlwind of things. And I and right. I, I I again I said just leave peaceably. You know if you're going to, I don't agree with this, but just go in peace and just 
can you please just do this or do this? And it was like whatever I asked, the opposite was done. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became almost like a vendetta to go in the most painful way possible until I wake up one day and the divorce was final. I got a text that it was final and I went to respond and I was blocked. Hmm. And I went to just respond on Facebook and I was blocked and it, right. I was just kind of cut out from that moment. And uh, we never we never had children, which was a blessing, you know, looking back on it because divorces when there's children involved are messier, <laughs> messier or not messy, I, not, not messy. There's just, it, it's a, it's a whole other element. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of people would look at this and say, well, you know, I saw, I saw Paul during the affair and whether they knew I was in the affair or not, I saw Paul and I saw he was, um, he was he was drunk at a wedding. Yeah. Which was true. Yeah. You, you can't look at someone at a point in their life and to be able to just say this is who that person is yeah. or is now. Those were the darkest times in my life. I can't look at my ex-wife and say this is who she is now. Right, cuz you don't know who she is now. I don't know who she is now. Right. We are to work on our our salvation with fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. And the story that we are writing for ourselves, whether we were once a Christian and had a, a hiccup a time where something went wrong and then we pick up again, I may have a darker story to come. God forbid. I <laughs> yeah, may have a dark... <laughs> you might. Uh, let's hope not on that one, too. <laughs> but to be able to look at someone and say, oh, well, you know, that's that's the resolve that I have, um, is it's, it's an injustice to that person. Um, Princeton psychologists actually determined that it takes as little as a tenth of a second to form a first impression, as long as 30 seconds to form an impression of somebody or something. So you can imagine with either the divorce or with the affair or something else, you can imagine how quick people could form an opinion and just kind of resolve on that. And I had lost a lot of community already from the affair. I lost even more from the divorce. Yeah. um, Because she just, she tried to take support with her. Um, and it, it was just a long road of recovery. Mm -hmm. And, and because I was still at such a weakened spiritual state, uh, I was devastated. I had my family, I had you, Mm -hmm. I had a few church members, but I had, I had gone backwards in, in decisions. And there's a lot of my family that doesn't notice. There's friends that may not even know this, but, um, there was a time in the affair that I had turned to alcohol. Right. And uh, I never felt addicted to it. I've never felt addicted to alcohol. But I knew when to use it. I knew that I don't want to feel anything right now, and I would numb myself. Mm-hmm. And I did that again in the recovery. Part of it was the anxiety feeling. I didn't know how to keep my anxiety down. So I would numb myself. And then I would hate the feeling of being numb. So I would want to give myself some kind of an, an adrenaline something so I'd get right. on my motorcycle and just go drive half reckless. And it was just me and that and support and trying to find healthy ways to cope. I didn't want to go back to counseling because I was scarred from the last counselor. Right. Until one day I finally uh, I finally wiped out on my bike. Um, and... Uh, it was just a stupid decision that I had made. I knew I was being stupid. 
but I realized I'm, I'm going to kill myself. Not intentionally, but I'm, I'm going to be so reckless. I'm going to kill myself if I don't get help, help the way I need right. to, which started my path of therapist and counseling. And, uh, and it really was, I looking back, I can see the, what God was doing. Mm-hmm. God was, God was trying to get me to the, to the bottom of myself, the bottom of the barrel. I'm not saying that he, he caused the divorce or allowed the divorce to happen so that I would get to that point. But he used that to still get to me. He mm-hmm. used my life situations and circumstances to get me to that point in myself. Right. Um, God hates divorce, so he wouldn't have wanted this to happen. And it was not his decision. This was a decision that was initiated by my ex-wife. Mm-hmm. But he still used it to better me. And I hope that he uses it to better her um, or anyone else around it that can learn can from see it and yeah. learn from it. Right. You know. Hmm. So <clears throat> we've gone through um, a pretty, pretty grim tale um, of a few, a snippet, a few years of your life. Um, where has God brought you from, from that state of recklessness at the end of the divorce um, to where you are now? Uh, I'm the same person. You know, I mean, we're we're born with the soul and the mind. And, <laughs> Are you just being basic and on me now, Bob? And the brain. <laughs> no, I'm not going Wizard of Oz on you. Um, we are the same person that we were born as. Yeah. Life takes us a direction, but the way that our life looks and the way that we carry out our life can change, and that is the beauty of salvation. Mm-hmm. The beauty of salvation is taking someone born into sin and changing their destiny, changing their makeup, their spiritual makeup. Right. And I was saved well before any of this, you know, took place. And it doesn't mean that I was just a sinner all the way up until God brought me to the bottom of myself. But God continually, when we come back to him, he's continually there trying to reshape our story. Uh, and I have been brought to this point that it, it, it took a while. Um, a lot of therapy. I, I, all I had was my time. Um, my life was so advertised so much to the world. When, when you come out from an affair, you're basically a billboard. <laughs> you're a billboard. Yeah. Everybody knows your dirtiest secret. Mm-hmm. And then when people, if people are left, you know, they kind of know what you're struggling through because that's just a closer community. Right. So, um, when the divorce happens, and it happened the way that mine did, I would call mine an ugly divorce. Could have been uglier if we had children, but I would call mine an ugly divorce. The way that she went out trying to just throw fuel to the fires, you know, with whatever, and just make me look a certain way. Whatever's left of your reputation is now strewn over the rest of the world again. And right. so I, I have now become a very private person. Um, I... I'm usually an extrovert. I communicate with people really well and have friendships, but um, it's not a it's not a problem to make friendships. But I'm a private extrovert now. I used to recharge in public. I recharge in private, mm-hmm. and it's because my my privacy was so defiled. Right. Partly by me, the, my choices. Part of it wasn't. Um. So, 
all I had really was myself, and I would go and do family events, and and there were people in the church that were there for me. Mm-hmm. You and some people in the other church community that would take me out for a kayaking trip or whatever and just get me out of the house. Uh, but I spent a lot of time with myself. I um, I never adapted well to being single, and that was never my goal, and I don't feel like that was my destiny from God. Right. I felt like God put the desire in my heart to have a family and uh, to be a father and a husband and and so, like, I remember sleeping alone was very difficult. Even now, like, uh, well, I'll set aside now for, for it for the moment, but when my ex had left, I couldn't sleep in the middle of the bed. Most people would say, I'll get the bed to myself. Right. I was on my side and because it felt weird to have it any different. Right. So I never slept in the middle of the bed. I was just... Well, because for oh, the past seven years... That's what I was used to. Right. <laughs> that, that's what I knew. And uh, praying was diff- difficult. Praying was always difficult. Um, part of feeling unworthy, you mm-hmm. know. There, I felt like I was left with a lot of shame after the affair that was never really resolved. Uh, and I still deal with kind of feelings of that, but that was a lot of the way the church had kind of responded. Um, but that that sh- kind of shame and, and where it drove me... Um, I would lay in bed at night and I would just talk out loud to God. I would just talk. I didn't structure it like a prayer. I just talked. Like God was literally right there, maybe next to me in the Mm -hmm. bed or in the room. And I started to um, find healing, find find a place of peace even living with myself. And I got to a really good state of mind. And, um, And eventually, eventually I reached a point that I felt like, uh, I wanted to maybe start dating again, and I was very apprehensive. You know, who wants to be with someone who's had an affair and a divorce? Right. <laughs> so I felt uh, <clears throat> felt kind of lost with that. But my sister was like, hey, you know, just try this or try that, or maybe online dating. You know, I, I dated a couple, a few people. I went on some dates around the area here, and, um, and there were some interests, but uh, I just tried online dating and just threw it out there. And, and I knew, I remember you telling me, you said... Hey man, don't don't just solidify the first first person that you're on a date with, right? <laughs> and uh, but I I I knew that going into it, I had to be prepared that I might meet the first one or the third one or the fifth one, right? And that may be the one that I feel like, hey, there's kind of a maybe a promise here. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like there might be a future, and it happened pretty quick. Um, yes, it did. <laughs> I am now happily, overly happily married. To an amazing woman, Katie, mm-hmm. Kat, my Catherine, I call her Catherine. We have a little boy, Noah. Um, he's not so little. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a big boy. Uh, we live in Indianapolis. Um, so we met online, and she was maybe the, the f- I don't know, fourth or fifth person that I had talked to. Right. Um, and we were. it just started out with communication online, and then we'd, I'd, I would go on a date. And I'd come home and be like, you know, you kept getting drawn to I, her. I just, <laughs> and I said, coming, coming back to talk to you is like coming home and taking your socks off. Right. Like I just felt relaxed. And so she eventually drove up to Michigan and we went on a date and, um, it just felt right. And it mm-hmm. was, it never felt like it was rushed. A lot of people were concerned for me. Well, I was one of them. <laughs> you were one of the band. Yep. I think they were members of, well, it was, 
It was, I'm moving. Like three months later, you were moving down to Indianapolis. You were getting, you had gotten engaged. Right. And you guys had already set the wedding date for like the next, what was it, May, June? Well, and, and it, July, it wasn't. It was we, quick. <laughs> I mean, there was a part of us that wanted it to be quicker because, um, especially someone who has been in a marriage for many years, you're sexually active. Right. There's just temptations. You just don't want to play with the fire. Um, she had never been married before. Uh, never any, anything like that. But long engagements, I think, are dangerous. Getting married too young, I think, can be dangerous. But long engagements are dangerous. Um, so we kind of reverse engineered things and figured out, okay, well, we definitely don't want to wait longer than this. You have a relationship going past this. And if that's the case, we definitely want to be engaged for this amount of time. Right. So we had to literally reverse engineer. All right, that means that we would get married in this year. We'd be engaged for this amount of time, which would mean that in order to pop the question it would need to be this and we don't want to go through a dating with this amount of time before that happens. So it, it was a very fast paced thing, but it felt, it felt good. It felt right. It was nothing but open doors. I felt like God was just here, well, here, boom, boom, hey, boom, boom, boom. And I get it because my first date I told with Janelle, I told her I'm going to marry you. And she's like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you don't understand. I'm telling you in my drug induced mind i'm like sometimes i'm going to sometimes the you. best ones are that way sometimes it can be rushed and, right. and and i see that but i met some resistance with friends and family and and it it, it felt hurtful but i get it now it, it, yeah it was it was just concern yeah from you know your affair to divorce to now we're in a, a, a what a year or two later i think it was 2 years later after the divorce year later uh 2 years i don't know yes yeah right it's like between a year and 2 right. years uh, now you're meeting this girl. You guys are moving quickly. It was it was a lot of concern. Yeah. Um, on your friend's part, well, at least on mine and Janiel's part, of for your sake and for her sake, and wanted to make sure not a whole lot of baggage from what sure. you've gone through had gotten brought into that. And and um, something about my wife. Um, She's wonderful. <laughs> I've never met anyone like her. Yeah. She is. She's the most innocent adult I've ever met, and I pray every day I do not defile that innocence with my rough edges. Mark always talks about Janiel and how conservative she is, and I think Katie's right there on par, if not even a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, she's she's such a sweetheart, and and she she approaches life truly above anyone else I've ever have ever seen in this world. She approaches life with a childlike heart and perspective. Her, she's so optimistic all the time. I don't she ever is. see her pessimist. She is. She's, and of course, every marriage has, you know, ups and downs. You know, you 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 got to make sure you're always getting on the same page. Right. Uh, but we've never struggled with doing that. And especially when we were first dating, it was, um, I we went we had a couple conversations for probably a couple weeks, and then um, she was talking about coming to see me mm -hmm. and. Um, and I was hesitant to talk on the phone at first because I didn't want to rush things too much. Right. And she she thought that was concerning. She's like, "Is there a reason why he's not calling me yet?" And I wanted to I wanted to just put my story out there. Yeah. So uh, I didn't want to be the guy that was like three months later. Hey, hey by the way, by the way, uh, I've been married and I had an affair and you know this this and that. So I wrote her a long email and just said, "I really, really, I really, really like you and I think that this is a great thing," mm -hmm. um, but this is my story. This is where I come from. And this is who I am now. And I want you to just walk into this thing with all the pieces. And if you want to keep going, great. And if you don't, I completely understand. Um, and she read it on her phone when she was with one of her friends in Indy in a store. 
and she was like crying and she said this is this is just beautiful to me hmm. and she saw she, she saw beauty in my ashes she saw beauty in it and i mean that just solidified things even more i'm like this well, is yeah. <laughs> this is incredible you know and so we just we both felt like this was such a great great thing that god put in our lap hmm. and so we we just took off with it, and we've got a beautiful life. So God took your dark ages and and created beauty. He did absolute beauty out of it. It took it took a little responsibility on our part. I mean, there's you know when it came time to have one of us make the move to get married, she was either going to move up here, right? Uh, and she's in English as a new language teacher, so Indianapolis has a lot of opportunity for that. Not right. so much up here. I used to train staff for the VA. And so I, you know, uh, there's a great hospital there. Mm -hmm. So it made more sense for me to make the move. But in another way, there's a lot of shadows and things and opinions from people still in this area that I don't think, I think would take years to heal enough to where we would walk in a store. And, And literally I've run into people involved in my past story, uh, that, would see me in a parking lot or a store, and you would be surprised at how they've reacted. Yeah, um, and I didn't want to subject her to that. So. I mean, you know, we're best friends, so I'm sad that you left, right. but I'm also happy. It's a bittersweet thing for me. For our know. relationship, I'm sad. For yes, that, but, but um, so you mentioned uh, just now that you know the, the the shadow of past relationships because of your past. Um, I want to dive into a little bit before we we end this final podcast episode on the subject of uh, what has the, in your opinion, from your situation, um, what are some things that the church could have done better in your situation? Um, And where has the church really failed? I, I, you know, um, I don't hear this, this topic talked about much in church settings or amongst amongst Christians, um, unless you're directly dealing or involved in that situation. Christians just don't talk about it. Um, so what are some signs to look out for? And uh, what has the church done right? And what has the church done wrong? If you kind of give us a quick, quick synapse of that. Sure. I'm going to go as quick as I can because there's a lot. I mean, there's enough <laughs> here for a whole other podcast episode, but I don't want to torture anybody more with <laughs> more episodes. Um, <clears throat> so I want to talk about the church first mm-hmm. because there were some things that the church did right. I talked about my friends in the band that night during the affair. Right. Um, and there's a scripture here. It's the one that I referenced before about John Piper with the acts and, right. and your responsibility. Uh, James five nineteen, Brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hmm. That, to me, is the essence of what a believer should do in this situation. Uh, You know, we are told to judge the church. People outside being uh, believers in the faith, that's for God. Right. And Scripture is explicit about that. But when it comes to inside the church, we are to chase those believers. Mm -hmm. There are friends I can think of now that I was in youth group with, and they're not leading a life that looks like it's of Christ. Right. And I feel the responsibility to at least reach out and say, hey, I'm here if you want to talk, and you know, I'd love to share some things that's happened in my life. And um, that is our, that's our, our duty. We are, are, are meant to do that. Um, the way that the church responded, the only church I, I had at the time was a home church. Right. It was a men's group, and 
uh, the way that everybody kind of reacted, not everybody, but I mean the majority, uh, it, was a, it was a special situation because I was involved with uh, people inside the church that um, they, they were kind of pivotal to the function of that church. So um, I had, you know, we'd had a, a one big meeting and talked about it, and I'd apologized and kind of shown where I was at. And they just kind of nodded and said, you know, we, we hear you, we accept your apology. But it's not like we could just go back to church being church. It's, it's, it's never good for two people that were in an extramarital relationship to be around each other. Right. <clears throat> and that was hard for me because um, the, the husband of the person I was in the affair with was a close... He was a brother. Close brother. Mm-hmm. My favorite movie of all time is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. You know, Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. And I, that movie speaks a lot to me in just artistic ways that I could go on and on about. But um, Bob Ford, who assassinated Jesse, looked up to him. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, he just wanted to be him, wanted to be right. like him. And he ended up being famous for killing him. Right. And I, I kind of relate to that with this person. Like, I, he was the person that kind of drew me into this deeper, deep, deep walk in my faith. And I murdered our relationship. Right. Um, so the church kind of excommunicated me. Um, I don't know if it was intentionally done that way, but they couldn't, they could have fellowshiped with me afterward or outside on their own. Especially because you had come to repentance. Right. But they didn't. Right. Um, we were told that the church just kind of was going to dissolve. And the very next week, it was reconvened with the person that I was in the affair with and their husband. And um, I had heard from somebody that had attended that months or even years later that there were some conversations that almost pointed to maybe some not truthful things about the dark ages that I was in the mm-hmm. affair. And um, if that's true, it's unfortunate, but uh, it's <clears throat> the church initially responded, I think with shock, a lot of judgment, um, which is expected, but it's not what we're called to do. Right. Um, the church was good with, with bringing me back in. But then once that happened, I was left on my own. Right. And uh, that was the stage when I needed somebody the most. I needed some kind of relationship. And um, I haven't been put in a situation watching someone else I'm close to go through an affair. I know now how I would respond, but without me going through it myself, right? I would be tempted to probably say, I just don't want that relationship in my life anymore, I don't think, you know. Um, which is not the correct attitude to have. <laughs> it's, it's not. and uh, It's a hard one not to do that, though, because I think it's human nature, path of least resistance. It'll be easier not to have a relationship with somebody, but it's not necessarily, especially if they're repentant, um, it's not the right thing to do. There's something else that um, a, lot of, a, a lot of people are experiencing. I, I've seen this firsthand. Women are leaving relationships and marriages at an astounding rate. Mm-hmm. It used to be men. Um, and men still in the statistics hold the mark of initiating um, divorces, but women are fast approaching that. Right, They're fast approaching that. In fact, if you were to just look at them in the last three or four years, they're probably superseding that because they're looking at of all time. You know? Right. So uh, there's something that happens where you have someone encouraging someone to leave a relationship. Girlfriends get together. Oh, you don't need to be... This happened in my marriage. Right. They, Her friends were encouraging her. There was actually 
somebody that was a close Christian brother of mine, his wife uh, told my ex-wife not to take me back. Hmm. Um, that kind of influence is so strong, um, and it can be damaging. Uh, I'm going to read just a few statistics here. Very, very important. So um, there's a lot of people that are that have actually gone through affairs in the Christian community. April 2010, Steve Fee from the band Fee came out um, that he was in an affair. Marty Sampson of Hillsong renounces his faith. He later makes a statement that said it wasn't so much that, but he's losing his faith. Um, not necessarily an affair, but someone staggering in their faith. Amy Grant and Vince Gill, uh, that was a, a major Huge affair. Huge one in the 90s. Oh, yeah. Um, there's a, a deacon of a church in South Bend who had left his wife of 20 years, moved to a different state. Um, I, I have a cousin whose wife left him for someone else. Um, I've, I, 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 I could keep going on about the examples. Right. Friend of ours that actually, uh, attended home church men's group a few times, um, was married. Uh, and shortly after my marriage ended, their marriage ended. And, uh, years later he ended up taking his life. Yeah. Uh, and it was, Almost, if not exactly, it was almost exactly on the anniversary. And the last post that he had made was referencing that he was, you know, expecting, you know, this time so many years ago, expecting to marry the person of his dreams, and it didn't happen. Right. And I am not by any means saying that he did that because they left or that it's the blame of the partner that left him. Right. But it is so important to understand what turmoil someone can go through who doesn't want the marriage to end. Um, so Proven Men Ministry says one in three men have affairs, one in six women, same numbers inside the church. Um, ROTW, Hall of Fame Americans, Christian and non, uh, or I'm sorry, half of all Americans, Christian and non, have never read the Bible. Um, plays a huge part in spiritual, spiritual growth. Mm. Psychology Today... Uh, women initiate 70% of divorces today, so it actually has surpassed. Um, the average first marriage ends in about eight years. Average age of divorce is 30 years old. 48% of married uh, people married before the age of 18 divorce in 10 years. 60% will divorce uh, if they're married between 20 and 25, and 25% will divorce if married after 25. That just goes to show between 20 and 25 if you're getting married. It's a high percentage. It's a high percentage. And, and I think part of the reason is... Um, you alluded to one um, of how your ex-wife felt of, I never really got to see what it was like to be on my own. That's one reason. Mm -hmm. Two, our uh, minds are not fully developed yet, guys and girls. Mind, I, I, I swear mine did not develop until I was 30. That's, well, that's the statistic, and I gave it in a previous podcast, that 30-year-old for men, 30 years old for men, and I think it was 25 or 27 for women that uh, your mind isn't fully developed. I believe that. So... That you know can make a big part and play a big part in the decision making of who you're going to be with. Right. Um, I think another thing would be um, when you get married, you think it's going to be like your dating relationship, and it's not. Um, it's learning to live with another person. Um, and I always hear people say, "Oh, marriage is a fifty-fifty 
partnership. Well, it's not. It's 100 and 100. Yeah. Both people have to give 100%. And sometimes you might be carrying the load for a while. Right. Yep. If, if you're somebody. And that's what the partnership is is meant to be. There's 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 so much that you can learn from elderly people. And I realize I might be one of the oldest people you've had on the podcast. I'm 32 years old. <laughs> no, I think Soche is 30. Okay. So hey. I think he's got you beat. Um, but And <laughs> I, I am by no means an, an aged person to gain wisdom from, but learn from my experiences. Um, you know, people that are going through hard things in marriages, especially in marriages, um, there's a statistic here that says if a close friend gets divorced, you are 147% more likely to divorce and 33% more likely if a friend of a friend divorces. Uh, if you work with someone who is in the process of divorcing, you're 75% more likely to divorce. That just goes to show in itself how much uh, how much the influence of people that are around you have on you. Um, you know, when we were talking about divorce and death and uh, WF Lawyers, who's a lawyer firm, they're the ones that deal with divorces. A new study entitled Divorce and Death shows that the broken marriages can kill the same rate as smoking cigarettes. Hmm. Indications that the risk of dying is a full 23% higher among divorces than those of married people. When you are dealing with someone who's married, whether it's just fighting problems, if you are in that marriage, be careful what kind of, uh, what kind of things, who you're going to to try to vent that because a marriage is sacred and what goes on in that marriage, only those two people know. And if you start to go to form allies, what are you doing? Right. You know, you're splitting your house, you're dividing your house. And if you are the friend of someone married going through a situation, line yourself up with scripture. Right. And understand that there is no way you can fully know what's going on in that marriage unless you're in it. Always take the side of God. <laughs> Always take the side of God. And there are two sides to a story yep. and, uh, you know, and I, neither I, side could be right. Both sides could be wrong. Both sides could be wrong. Both sides could be right. Right. In certain ways, just careful how you assert yourself yeah. into someone else's life. You don't know what's going on. Hmm. So, um, in a quick summary, um, what would you say to a person in an affair? What would you say to a person going through a divorce? And what would you say to the church when you know? A few sentences for each topic. Um, to a person going through an affair, God is still there. Get out. Just get out. Reach out to somebody who you who you think could be a leaning ear mm -hmm. to listen on. To a person going through a divorce, I mean, if 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 you both are willing, there is no reason why you can't make that work. Do you believe that God is one hundred percent able? to take care of your anger, your addictions. He is. Are you? Because that's what it comes down to. Yeah. God is capable of fixing anything. We have to let him. What would you say to the person that, um, that may be listening that they want to work it out, but the spouse doesn't? To the person that wants to work it out and the spouse doesn't. Very uh, similar to your situation with your ex-wife. It takes two people for that relationship. What you What you have to resolve is that Anything you do that can be taken as aggressive or unloving is going to be used against you. Mm -hmm. It will. If the, if the other person wants out of the marriage, they are going to make you out to be someone who's worthy of leaving. Be as gentle and loving and accepting. If you want this marriage to work, resolve yourself to being the best version of yourself day and night. 
until there is a final divorce decree. I mean, you just just be on the most watchful guard for how you are and how loving you are, and just be just be gentle and look loving to God. and gentle. Look to God <laughs> yeah. for somebody that is not in a relationship yet, or wants to be married someday, or is married and they're worried about an affair. First of all, you have to keep open communication. You have to have intimacy in three areas of your life. You have to have intimacy in uh, communication. Yeah, actually, I have this written down because there's something else good that that really goes with this, um, and I don't want to uh, I don't want to lose it. I'm going to find it real quick. Well, why? Yeah, why? Why you find it? Um, I want to speak back to the the person getting divorced. Um, if they're willing to work on the relationship, the other person spouse is it. There's nothing that you can do to force them to want to work on the relationship. Um, the only thing you could do is give it to God. And if he chooses to work, um, he will. And if he doesn't, um, all things that are done are done for the good and the glory of God. You may not see it, but something good God is working on, whether it's you or whether it's something else. And you will eventually look back on this and you will see God in it. And you may not right now, but you will see God in it. Uh, We are called to love. We are also called to peace. Um, If we are called to love and we are called to peace, do everything you can to do your part. You don't have control of your other spouse, but you have control of your relationship with God and how you are perceived. Right. Um, you are still called to your vows to be a husband in sickness and in health, for better or for worse, for richer or poor. Till death do till you death part. do you part. Yeah. I mean, you're 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 called. So fulfill what you are called to be. Right. Be the person you're called to be, man or woman. Um. So intimacy in in the three areas. Um. Of, of uh, you know, watching yourself in, in hedges. You have to have self-intimacy. So you have to know yourself, know your struggles, know your strengths. You have to have conflict intimacy. So you have to be able to have open communication. Allow, if there's especially resentment, but if your spouse has something against you or something that is hurtful that they want to share with you, allow them to. Right. Just allow them to, to say it. That's what's Without deepest backlash. on their heart, and that can build the resentment, and that can build to something that will make them... Don't You don't want to do anything to make your spouse's eyes wander. And I'm not saying that uh, that you would ever cause that, or someone in a marriage would cause a husband's eyes to wander somewhere else. or look. But you can do things to make them feel welcome in a relationship, and that is conflict intimacy uh, and affection intimacy. You got to be affectionate. You got to make them feel uh, like like they like they are loved in a relationship. It's called meeting the needs. Is the the term that gets thrown around a lot. You got to meet their needs. Meet the needs. Um, learn their love language. Right. That's very important. Um, and then you just understand that even a simple conversation with a coworker, a simple conversation with someone inside the church. Uh, watch hugging. I don't. I don't hug women. If, if I mean, it, it, they've got to be someone that I know that we've all got the rapport. The right. husband knows and everything. Where it's just like in passing, the pastor's wife. I'll yeah. hug them at church, and it's usually like a side hug. Right. <laughs> I do not hug women. Yeah. Sometimes I don't show. I don't even talk to a woman if I feel like something might be perceived that I right. might be, or even if staying from the appearance of evil. Uh, yeah, just abstain from the appearance of evil, and um, I I just don't hug women. So, um, just understand the opposite sex, and you, no one is ever, ever, uh, I don't know what the word is, 
you are never a person that is guaranteed not to fall into a sin. Yeah. Any kind of sin. But there are safeguards of like limit contact with the opposite sex. Yes. Um, lim- limit private personal messages where um, the spouses aren't involved. I know Janiel and I, um, and Mark will tell you this because we do it with him. Anytime Janiel has to say something to Mark, she puts me in the text with it. Yes. You know, um, we, that's how we communicate. We communicate. The spouses are involved. In uh, all my communications, I try to keep it that way to where I am not um, communicating with the opposite sex in a personal private message. And if somebody of the opposite sex messages me, I immediately let my wife. My, my phone is an open phone policy. My wife gets to see it. If somebody texts me, I show it to her right away. Right. And that's a safeguard. Some, for sometimes me. you get a text or a message from somebody that doesn't understand. They don't understand. And that's it. fine. So you just just show your spouse. Yeah, right. Um, and you know, again, I had information on this in, in my testimony, my story. That could have gone for multiple episodes. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, um, you can find me on Facebook or uh, you know. I think you, you can get a hold of us, and we'll we can get you information. Exactly, and and I'll be glad to I'll be glad to help you out uh, in any way that I can. Um, but it's 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 been great. Thanks for talking here. Yeah, and, it's been great having you, Paul. I, we appreciate you traveling all this way from Indianapolis. I know it's not like a hey, I'm going to drive 15 minutes, like 150 what? miles. Yeah, <laughs> it's 150 miles to come up and and to have this conversation with us, and um, it, it's been really great. Um, eye-opening. Thank you so much for sharing your testimony. I know it's not an easy thing to do. Um, It brings up a lot of emotions um, that may not have been thought about in a few years, months, whatever it may be. So we appreciate you um, sharing your testimony with us. Um, Is there any final thoughts that you have that you want to say, or have you pretty much covered everything? Nothing that won't get me into a longer conversation. (laughs) I do want to say, though, that... uh, for those that don't know, I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. And uh, on the last podcast I listened to, you gave a fun fact with Fuller about the Steagles. Right. And I and before you even said it, I'm like, the Steagles, yeah. I know it, the Steagles. I'm glad somebody did. I always try to come up with these obscure, weird facts. Yeah. <laughs> and appreciated that one. Speaking of fun facts with Fuller, I do have another one for this final episode with Paul, but I'm sure we're going to have Paul back on on the podcast to talk about other issues just like we do with Brandon Soche or any other person that we have um, coming to do these podcasts with us. But today's fun fact is, did you know banging your head against a wall for one hour burns 150 calories? Whoa. <laughs> Alternatively, you can walk your dog for 45 minutes, which also burns 150 calories and is a lot less painful. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably go that route. <laughs> I mean, I know we got thick skulls, but they're not that thick. <laughs> Anyways, thank you everybody for joining us. Hope you enjoyed this podcast and tune in next time to listen to some more good stories and testimonies and conversations. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to Real Talk Christian. To help get our podcast into the ears of other people who need to hear these conversations, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. To keep the conversations going, feel free to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and share our content with others. See you next time.